This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Science Notes, a programme on Otago Access Radio brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorrin, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 till 7pm, only on Otago Access Radio. Well, good evening, and welcome to Science Notes again for another week. My name's Dave McMorrin.
This week, I would like to introduce you to one of the lesser-known members of the periodic table, antimony, element number 51, whose chemical symbol, perhaps confusingly, is Sb. Antimony lies in group 15 of the periodic table, with nitrogen, phosphorus and arsenic above it, and bismuth below it. As such, it shares some properties with each of these others, but unlike nitrogen and phosphorus, antimony behaves mostly like a metal. It is a silvery white colour with a melting point of 630 degrees and a hardness on the Mohs scale of 3, about the same as copper. There are a number of allotropic forms of antimony in which the antimony atoms are arranged in slightly different ways. But only one is stable, and the others will change to this form, given the chance. In one case, explosively. However, it doesn't completely behave like a metal, in that it is a poor conductor of heat and electricity. 
its abundance in the Earth's crust is 0.2 parts per million, so similar to that of cadmium or iodine. The name antimony comes from the Latin word antimonium, but the chemical symbol Sb comes from the Latin word stibium. Antimony is one of the chemical elements which has been known since antiquity. So it has no specified discoverer, unlike all the other members of group 15. An antimony compound was famously used as a cosmetic by Egyptian woman as early as 3100 BC, where it was known by the Arabic name coal. An antimony was a favorite with the alchemists in the Middle Ages. Antimony is occasionally found in nature in its pure form, but much more commonly it is found as a compound with sulfur or with oxygen. Stibnite, which has the chemical formula Sb2S3, is the most common mineral form, and it is often found mixed with silicate minerals like quartz. It is often also found with other metal-containing minerals, and is commonly found in deposits containing silver, mercury, and gold. While it is not used in huge quantities, antimony and its compounds find a variety of uses. Currently, the biggest usage of antimony compounds is as additives to synthetic textiles, plastics, and rubbers to give them fire-retardant properties. The antimony compounds act together with halogenated flame retardants, organic molecules, to enhance their effectiveness. Its properties make it possible for plastics to be used in applications where they would normally melt, such as in computer casings and in televisions. Catalysts based on antimony are also used to make some plastics, most importantly polyethylene terephthalate, or PET, the plastic used to make drink bottles. Other antimony compounds are used in the strikers on matchboxes and as ingredients in fireworks. Historically, the biggest use of antimony involved adding pure antimony metal to other metals to form alloys, and so improve the mechanical properties of the other metals, in particular their hardness. Pewter is an example. Pewter has been around since Roman times, and it was used to make drinking vessels and decorative items. And pewter is mostly tin, it's about 92% tin, but 6% antimony, and 2% copper. Modern lead-free solders used for electronics contain antimony. Antimony is also used to make anti-friction bearings for use in propellers, and antimony compounds are also used in brake linings in your car. Antimony is added to lead in particular to increase its hardness. It prevents the gradual build-up of lead on the inside of the barrels of guns, 
due to the lead bullets degrading at the high temperatures. It is also it what used to be used added to lead in order to make the type face for printing newspapers and books. Unlike many metals, antimony increases in volume when it solidifies. So, when a molten mixture of lead and antimony is poured into the moulds for casting the letters, it expands to completely fill the fine details of the moulding as it cools, ensuring a clearer printed image. And its minimal electrical conductivity contributes to antimony's use in semiconductor technologies, in particular in components for infrared detectors for thermal imaging applications. Another significant use of antimony has been as an additive to the lead plates in the lead acid batteries in cars. While the percentage of antimony used has decreased in recent years, this use still accounts for about half of all the antimony used each year. But increasingly the antimony used has been recycled, in part due to the fact that as much as 70% of world production of antimony is in China, and this is seen as a potential risk to security of supply into the future. Antimony compounds have also been used for centuries as medicines. Tartar emetic or potassium antimony tartrate induces vomiting and has been used since the Middle Ages. Wine was stored in special cups made from antimony and, over time, the reaction of the tartaric acid in the wine with the cup itself made the drug. More recently, antimony compounds, including tartar emetic, have found use as drugs for diseases caused by parasitic worms such as leishmaniasis and schistosomiasis. And while other drugs have now started to replace their use in humans, they are still used in animals. About 175,000 tonnes of antimony is mined annually, with most of this coming from China. It is estimated that there is about 5 million tonnes in total in the Earth's crust, mostly residing in China, Russia and Bolivia. Many producers are represented by the Brussels-based International Antimony Association, who run Antimony Day each year, and also actively explore appropriate regulation of antimony exposure in the workplace. While it lies between arsenic and bismuth in the periodic table, each of which being well known for their toxicity, it seems that conclusive evidence of antimony's toxicity is lacking. This may in part be due to the fact that not much antimony is used around the world each year. But it does seem that exposure to antimony containing dust does seem to cause lung diseases, but this seems due to the size rather than the composition of the particles. Evidence that it's the antimony itself causing the disease has not yet been found. Extraction of pure antimony from the stibnite ore is relatively straightforward. 
If the ore is relatively high in antimony content, it is melted with scrap iron in a furnace. The sulphur in the stibnite transfers from the antimony to the iron, and the resulting iron sulphide floats on top of the liquid antimony, which can then be separated off. Lower grade ore is first roasted in air to convert the antimony sulphide into antimony oxide, which is then heated with carbon to produce pure antimony. Given that antimony ores are often found in the same deposits as gold, there is a short but interesting history of antimony mining in New Zealand. Gold was first discovered here in 1852, with the first major rush being near the town of Lawrence in Otago in the 1860s. As people explored the country looking for new gold deposits, ore containing antimony, some of high quality, were discovered. One was at Stony Creek, just 15 kilometres from Lawrence, and the subsequent mining yielded 60 tonnes of ore in 1875. Similarly, antimony-containing ores were found in the Reefton gold fields on the South Island's west coast. But the most significant and commercially successful mine was situated at the top of the South Island in the Marlborough Sounds, at a place called Endeavour Inlet. High-grade antimony ore was found as part of a gold prospecting operation in 1873. John Ashworth, who went on to manage the mine for the following 19 years, may have been the initial discoverer. He and a local syndicate set up the Marlborough Antimony Company and started mining about two kilometres inland in 1873. But while the ore contained as much as 60% antimony, a failure of the smelter led to the mine closing after only a few years. In 1883, high prices for antimony facilitated raising of capital, and a group, including Ashworth, established the Endeavour Inlet Antimony Company, and restarted the mine. An extensive processing facility was established, and by 1888, there were as many as 70 workers on site. Many of the men lived there with their families, enough that there was even a school for a period of time, and a band. But antimony prices fell, and the company was forced to seek further capital from London. The Endeavour Inlet Antimony Company became the New Zealand Antimony Company. But still, it was forced into voluntary receivership in 1892. The mine was reopened by the Star Antimony Company later that year, and it managed to continue until 1901, until it too failed. During its operation, only th over 300 tonnes of ore was extracted from Endeavour Inlet. A recent report by New Zealand's Institute of Geological and Nuclear Sciences states that there may still be significant quantities of antimony in the Endeavour Inlet area. But attitudes towards mining are very different in New Zealand today than they were in the 1870s, especially in an area of such natural beauty as the Marlborough Sounds, where Endeavour Inlet is situated. This along with the increasing amounts of antimony recycling now carried out, make it unlikely, I think, 
that mining for antimony will resume in New Zealand. While New Zealand is best known for its gold and coal mines, at least here in New Zealand, there have been a variety of interesting and perhaps surprising attempts to commercialise the production of metals here, from copper to titanium to even mercury. It is my hope to explore some of these stories in future shows. Well, I dreamed I saw the lights in armor come and saying something about a queen. There were peasants singing and drummers drum. The archers split the tree. There was a fanfare blowing to the sun that was floating on the breeze.
Science Notes, a program on Otago Access Radio, brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorrin, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 till 7pm, only on Otago Access Radio. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.